this episode, we're going to speak to Dominic Smiles, who founded Gleam Futures in 2010, long before the word influencer and its culture emerge. As CEO, Dom grew his company into a multi-million pound market leader, specializing in managing and protecting digital first talent. Over the course of 10 years, Gleam pioneered the digital first and influencer marketing industry, becoming synonymous with quality talent who were growing quality brands. In the last decade, Dom has stewardly and hugely successful team here in the UK and overseas in America and Australia. Extending into global brands, movies, TV shows, podcasts, books, and of course, brokering thousands of brand partnerships. Dom recently exited the business to pursue new projects as he considers the next evolution for online talent and entertainment. Dominic, welcome to AIMCO's podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Patrick. So Dom, looking back over the last 10 years and, and starting Gleam Futures in 2010, how would you reflect on those years and, and where we are now? I would reflect on it being a, an insane journey that has evolved at, at just a breakneck pace, basically, if you think about what's happened in the last 10 years for digital first talent, social media and influencer marketing. So thinking about that, Dom, with the talent that you first signed to where the where you left the business, did you think within obviously the growth of influencers, but did you did you imagine where this digital first talent could go within the industry? I had a sense almost immediately that it was going to be a thing, like a big thing, because I was watching very carefully at the growth rates, not only of the talent channels themselves on social media platforms, but the growth rate in terms of total audience of the platforms they were creating on. So back in 2010, it was all about YouTube and the birth of the YouTuber and Twitter there's a platform that was exploding at the time. Also, obviously, Instagram was, you know, in its very, very early stages or hadn't even been invented yet, but it certainly wasn't on my my radar then. And when we think about, I remember you saying to me years ago and terming the phrase digital first talent, and you looked at ways of bringing and extending their brands into traditional formats such as TV, books, films. As this starts to grow further and and in this market in Australia, talent and talent managers think about how they develop their talent beyond the social spaces that they're in and where their audience is. What tips would you be giving them around how to manage and grow their talent? So, yeah, this is I, I think this is the biggest opportunity in digital first talent is the creation of IP. And it was that realisation that spawned the proper kind of like you know, arrival of influencers, digital first talent, whatever you want to call them, on the mainstream media landscape. Because it was when they started selling decent amounts of books or product outside of what was available on social media platforms that the rest of the world really sits up and and takes notice. The first instance of that for us was uh, in 2014 with a book from... Alfie Days, who had a channel called Pointless Blog, and he published a book called The Pointless Book, which is like an activity book, basically. You filled in as you went through, you did certain tasks and so on. And it was then only a few months after that, that uh, Zoe Sugg, known then as Zoella, published Girl Online, first uh, fiction novel from a digital first talent, from an influencer. And it broke all 
records in the UK for the fastest selling debut novel of all all time. In fact, it was the fastest selling debut novel of all time in the world, globally. And that's really where the really interesting opportunities start to arise. So I would say to anybody managing or the talent themselves, as they start out thinking about what is unique about their content, which they will have had that thought already, either signing the talent or becoming a talent, and then think about what other platforms that content exists on in a relevant way and how to protect that IP and make it even more original. Because that is, that's the gold dust here. That's the, the golden goose is how brilliant and original your content is. Uh, and how well your audience engages with that content. But there are lots of ways that you can grow that content for audiences. It's not all about, you know, the likes on a social media platform. And thinking about how we grow that with brands as well, because that's all an important part as as well as a as a revenue stream for a number of for a number of influencers and a number of brands. Is that I guess the the freight the the journey that we've gone through has been doing brand partnerships to effectively promote the product to influencers now creating content and now we're moving into a help sell my product with the rise of ecom. Is that something that you would support as as an area of growth where you would start to see more talent representing brands and and through the likes of growth of Shopify and others as an e-com perspective, you'll start to see that more influencers are not only selling their own products, but, but selling others as well. Yeah, I think the, the key thing about partnerships with brands for any influencer is the, 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 the honesty and credibility that goes into that relationship. So you, you, I think we're seeing deeper and deeper relationships with, with brands on social media with influencers. So instead of the market going super broad, I'm hoping we'll see it go much deeper. So the influencer will be able to, in some cases, co-found the launch of brands with manufacturers or found relationships with brands that go so deep that they they become part of the, in, the total integrated marketing campaign rather than just a you know a poster child for a brief moment on social media. I think. E-commerce is a very exciting place to be. And I think direct-to-consumer brands are a very exciting place to be also. And I think influencers and the way that they work with brands lends itself perfectly to being able to effectively market these to these retail spaces, I guess. So, yeah, I think that it, yeah, influencers are, are going to have a very interesting time of it over the next few years. But I think the relationships will just run deeper and deeper with the with the product so that they're able to effectively and authentically uh, market the products. And as that develops further, something that we've been doing at the at AIMCO with our code of practice is to talk around disclosure, because it's a very important topic for influencers to understand, but also brands to understand of how you are connecting and promoting to, to the public. Now we have in in this market in Australia, we there, there is the ACCC consumer law, which is which protects con, uh, consumers around this, but it's not necessarily something that is commonplace yet when it comes to ad disclosure. Now the UK is slightly further ahead than in Australia, and I just wondered where where and what learnings we could take from a, a disclosure perspective from that market. Yeah, it's often a 
uh, a minefield as any kind of new compliance is, but only due to lack of understanding. So it's that whole edu- you know, experience and education piece that will help everybody get up to speed with what's compliant and what's not compliant when it comes to disclosure. I think it's an essential part of the evolution of influencer marketing in any market that the entire effectiveness or the entire relationship that an influencer has with their audience is based on trust or should be based on trust. That's why it's such an interesting and effective channel for people to communicate on, entertain as well as sell. And it's got to be as clear as possible. But where, where it's a new landscape, of course, there are situations come up that haven't been encountered before, and then you have to work through it and work out what's the best way to disclose, etc. So in the UK, we've, we've probably come furthest along that compliance evolution. And um, I think it's getting into a fairly good place, but that hasn't been, that's been at the expense of a few, uh, you know, mishaps and miscommunications and misunderstandings and all that kind of stuff. But it's all about learning. I always think that the thing that you've got to stick to is the fact that as long as the, the audience has to understand without a shadow of a doubt, the relationship that you have with a brand, if it's a commercial one. And nowadays, I see a lot of talent in the UK and in the States, slightly less so, I guess, coming out and talking about their relationship with the brand, even if there is not a commercial relationship there, just to cover all bases and make sure that there's absolutely no misunderstanding, because I think the influence of themselves is confused. And if they're confused, then the audience is definitely going to be confused. So there's a bit of kind of like, over-disclosure going on in the marketplace as well at the moment, which can be no bad thing, but it does make the communication or the entertainment slightly clunky in places. So lastly, Dominic, what does the future hold in this space? Big question, Paddy. And I don't think anyone can really give you the proper answer because no one has a crystal ball. But from my perspective, I think that the whole space now is so full of people creating content on advertising platforms for people. I hearken back to the day that the most important relationship used to be between the audience and the creator, and it was a very pure thing. And now that has kind of like become absolutely saturated with contributors, shall I say, on both sides of the fence, the advertiser being one of the biggest. I think it's very interesting to start exploring the purity of that relationship again, i.e. I think that as we go forward, creators will be more and more interested in the subscription space. So how do I connect with an audience that might be a lot smaller than my AVOD audience on Instagram or YouTube, but they will be 100 times more engaged because they might like me enough or value my content enough to pay a small subscription to view it. So I think we'll see more. I don't think that, you know, I certainly don't think that platforms like Instagram and YouTube and Facebook are anywhere near done. And the creators on those platforms are anywhere near done with the growth that's available. But I think subscription platforms as an alternative to an income to supplement professional creators' careers will become a bigger deal for them. So it will be more important. And being able to do those platforms you know, professionally will be an interesting space. And with that, I understand that you've just started a new venture called The Globe Project. Could you tell us a little something about that? Yeah, so 
Playing on that whole uh, sense that subscription might well become more important, my uh, co-founder and I, Sophie, have started a business called The Globe Project, GLO, without W. And The Globe Project is a network. It is a talent network that's, that supports networks and protects creators who want to make a living on subscription platforms. So it very specifically is that it's a kind of like resource for those types of creators to be better on subscription platforms. It helps them with the technology involved in producing content for subscription platforms. It collaborates them to be able to um, improve their output and reach new audiences on subscription platforms and also protects them because of course, once you're making content for subscription platforms that you're charging a subscriber money for, that content is your product. And as we know, sadly, IP theft online is rife. So we help protect that IP and make sure that the content that's published on those sites is not leaked. And if it is, then we will help them get that taken down through legal means. And it's really interesting. It's refreshing because it's I can see how empowering it is for creators to suddenly start to think more about their audience rather than the advertiser. I met my business partner, Sophie, almost 10 years ago now. She was a model on one of the very first shoots that I organized at Gleam for a large hair brand, and she was the hair model. And we stayed in touch, and she embarked on an illustrious modeling career. And we've, we've chatted all the way through, but more recently, in the last couple of years, she's been talking about the fact that she's fed up of as a model in a drafty studio somewhere for a few hundred dollars, um, giving away all of her IP and all the control over the images that feature her to a photographer or a producer or whatever. And then that photographer and producer goes off and exploits those rights somewhere else and makes 10 times more money than she has made producing that content or being the subject of that content. So she started taking control of producing the content and then uploaded it onto subscription sites like OnlyFans and Patreon. And we're also chatting about Twitch, et cetera. And a lot more money, just getting into control of that IP. And so that's how the, the idea for the business was founded when we chatted about how that class of creator, models, creators that are used to giving away their content for free, can be encouraged and protected by an organized, best-in-class, compliant business that will... Uh, help them grow and, and produce responsibly on subscription platforms. Just add a bit of kind of rigor around getting organized to launch properly on those platforms and strategy behind the content. It's a bit like programming a radio show or a TV station or something like that. If you're doing it for an audience that's subscribing to you, then you need to make sure that you're consistent and you're giving good quality. So so Sophie and I are excited to get going. We are looking to work with talent directly uh, and find creators that have a load of potential to switch some of their attention to subscription platforms, but also with established management companies like Gleam, in fact, to help some creators that they may have on their roster get better or even launch on subscription platforms as an, another alternative revenue stream for both the creator and the management company. So we're out looking for partners at the moment. Dominic, thank you very much for joining this podcast. It's been a great 10 years to this point where you've exited Gleam. And given what you've just spoken about there with Glow Project, it sounds like we're on for another fantastically 
very successful 10 years in the future. So thank you again. Let's say thanks, Paddy. It's lovely to hear and see you. So thank you for listening. If you're interested in finding out more about the Australian Influencer Marketing Council, please visit our website, aimco.org.au, where we're trying to build confidence and trust in influencer marketing. Thank you for listening.